This is the Pain Information Network, and this is Episode 7. Well, today's topic is going to be opioids, which is a huge subject, and we're going to break it up into different chunks. So today we're going to st- talk a little bit about the uh, neurobiology of, uh, of opioids, uh, some of the definitions, and uh, how we use these uh, medications. They're one of the oldest drugs known to mankind. They've been around for thousands of years. They've affected so many lives, and it's a, it's a very timely subject now because there is an opioid epidemic in uh, America. Throughout the world, opioids have accessibility and sometimes no accessibility. America tends to be a little bit more on the too much accessibility. And we're going to talk about that. There's a couple different kinds of opioids. There's artificial and those that are extracted from uh, poppy. And so there's a natural form and then a manufactured form. Being some of the oldest drugs around, we have a pretty good grasp on how they work, who's on them, who should be on them, and sometimes not so good about who shouldn't be on them. So we talk about opioid abuse, and we talk about it openly because it isn't a shame. People that uh, misuse, abuse, or uh, even sometimes divert these medications do them because do so because of consequences and problems they've had in their life. So we look at these people a little more compassionately, uh, and we don't stigmatize them as we used to. This term opioids came around the '60s when the stigma of narcotics, dope, uh, pill pusher, and some of these other ridiculously old terms uh, were utilized, and we needed other terms because. We have to be able to treat pain adequately, and opioids are cost-effective and a good way to get the message across that the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a truck. We can help you. Not everybody has an interventional procedure or has availability or accessibility. Not everybody can get to physical therapy. Not everybody can get psychological management. So we have to have some type of niche where we look at the patient within the context of the proper patient selection, uh, the risk-reward benefit, comorbid disease, and improving their quality of life. So the obligation is to treat pain adequately, to screen for potential drug abuse or addiction. Not everybody that takes these pills is an addict. To monitor these patients, we'll call it adherence monitoring, and to address harmful effects as they occur. Harmful effects and side effects can occur from any drug, but from opioids... It's often misunderstood that itching is not an allergy. That's a histamine release, and that's what we expect with opioids, some more than other. Uh, Constipation, well, that can be treated effectively. We have newer medications that really help. So that's not a barrier to these drugs anymore. So there's a few assumptions. A physician understands the risk and and management of addictive disease, so we just aren't uh, giving these drugs uh, willy-nilly. We're thinking it through. We're applying proper medical diagnosis to a proper treatment strategy, utilizing these drugs, and most times having an exit strategy, uh, and sometimes not, uh, so that these patients are treated um, with an end in mind. And we do this with benchmarks. Sometimes in chronic pain, we'll set them at 3, 6, 9, and 12 months. We'll look at where you're going to be realistically. What are our expectations? Chronic pain can sometimes be a little more difficult, but acute pain and chronic pain are looked at differently. Now, when acute pain uh, migrates into the chronic arena, 
you have to have a plan, and you might want to be changing your pharmacologic management. More assumptions. A physician or provider understands the risk and management of addictive disease. A persistent failure to treat uh, addiction is poor medical practice. That is very true. But failure to prescribe opioids when they're indicated uh, is also poor medical practice. You have to know the difference. That takes an immense amount of training and experience. So simply just writing a prescription by the tip of the pen doesn't always work. Uh, There's this concept called pseudo-addiction. Well, it's really a pseudo-reality. It's the idea that I need to prescribe this person more because they are undertreated. They say they still hurt, so I need to prescribe more. All of a sudden, you're prescribing more and more and more, and you don't have a plan. And now the patient uh, is on a lot of medication, and it's concerning. I don't think pseudo-addiction is real. It's based on poor methodology, and it's, it's old science. More so in reality is the concept of tolerance and uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. So pain, if it's undertreated, it's because of a fear of patient harm. Uh, often unfounded, uh, often uh, misunderstood, but this fear of regulatory, legal, or licensing penalties and physicians is underscored by the media regularly. And therefore, they're sometimes a little skittish. Just this week, a physician was convicted of murder by over-prescribing medications. Loosely interpreted, that's scary to a physician, but when you read into it, this physician was way out of sight of legitimate medical need or standard practice and um, doing doing so recklessly uh, for personal gain. That is very different than treating a patient that hurts. So most abused drugs are prescription drugs. They're opioids, they're central nervous system depressants, and they're stimulants. Now, we have a huge heroin problem uh, arising in America because prescription drugs, particularly opioids, are getting more tightly controlled. Underline the word controlled substances, root word controlled. Uh, Some states had enormous problems, Florida in particular, and they passed very effective legislation pushing people that sought these drugs for illegitimate reason to uh, heroin. Some people... Uh, we're taking these drugs for legitimate reasons, and the rug got pulled out from underneath them. So Florida has an access problem. So legitimate pain patients down there now are having trouble getting their hands on legitimately prescribed uh, drugs. So <sighs> opioid abuse is sometimes uh, tied to psychotherapeutic uh, uh, purposes. So the person is taking it for a reason. Uh, 6.4 million people use psychotherapeutic drugs non-medically, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Um, 4.7 million use uh, pain relievers, and about 1.8 use tranquilizers. Uh, 1.1 use stimulants. That number's got to be a lot higher now with uh, ADD and some of the stimulants used uh, to treat um, uh, the overdiagnosed ADD in youngsters. Um, And a quarter of... uh, a million use sedatives, uh, and they're just being uh, eclipsed by uh, benzodiazepines. Aprazolam uh, uh, is wildly overprescribed. So when you look at pseudo-addiction, is it really uh, more of an iatrogenic addiction? In other words, it's 
an addiction that was fueled by over-prescribing or misunderstood prescribing. Not always maliciously, but sometimes misunderstood. So one in five teenagers have tried uh, painkillers to get high. They want to get high, so they go to parties, and uh, they have these pill parties. There's all sorts of terms for them. I'm not going to use them. I don't want to propagate that. And since 2004, more have abused painkillers than ecstasy, cocaine, crack, LSD combined, including heroin combined. So in other words, these drugs are available. They are real easy to get to. And the most popular is hydrocodone. That's one in five youth. Oxycodone, 10%. And that includes Oxycontin, but that's getting less so because Oxycontin has been reformulated. Methylphenidate, uh, that's Ritalin. That's an amphetamine. Um, and uh, dextroamphetamine, that's Adderall. Uh, they're 10 to 15%. And 48% of our youth are at great risk because of the easy access. They're in the home medicine cabinet or friend's home. So the decision to prescribe must be based on the practitioner's knowledge and their understanding of the drug itself. Remember, rule four, know thy drugs, know how to handle those drugs, and um, the options within those uh, categories. And opioids and controlled substances are one of those categories. So legitimate diagnosis is necessary to define legitimate need. So there's our, our rule. Uh, you have to have a diagnosis. That's rule two. All right, these drugs are way easy to obtain, and there's, the supply in the family medicine cabinet is a lot better than the stigma uh, on the street with crack and smack, for example. But a good healthcare provider knows that tip of the pen is connected to the arm, is connected to the brain, and is thinking it through. Now, chronic pain is a little different than acute pain because it rewires the nervous system. It continues to send signals beyond the original injury or original problem, and the signal can be pain. So the patient become anxious. M many times we can't separate pain, addiction, and depression. You can't separate them neurobiologically. I call it PAD because... Uh, we see as, as bedfellows in a chronic pain scenario, anxiety, depression, and insomnia, as well as uh, poor memory, um, many disturbances in their quality of life and their comorbidities. Now, ancient opioid abuse goes back a long way. It goes back to ancient Samaria about uh, three to 4,000 years ago, the Egyptians uh, 1,300 years ago. Hippocrates, 400 B.C., Noted uh, the pain-killing uh, narcotic uh, gave euphoria, and recreational use was popular. It was very popular among the 19th century writers, John Keats, um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and everybody knows uh, our problem uh, with Freud and loving his cocaine. So enter the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, from the Harrison Narcotic Act in 1914 to the DEA being formulated in 1970, physicians were pretty uh, skitterish about prescribing medications. So there was probably the undertreatment of pain. It was common. So there was uh, this push in 1997 uh, by the American Academy of Pain and the American Pain Society, which advised all types of clinicians, underline all types, to consider the use of opioids in chronic pain patients. One problem is, um, in medical school and in residency, we don't get hardly any training, 
any training, all types of clinicians. So there wasn't the common uh, uh, provider called a pain management physician in that era. Uh, it's only recently uh, became a, a fairly common uh, specialty. But um, it got a little out of control. And so um, the, the, this problem with addiction became a very real uh, topic in America. But the terms were often misused. Okay, so enter terminology. All right, let's let's talk about a kind of boring subject, but a, a necessary subject. Abuse, uh, opioid abuse. It's use of the medication for purposes other than those for which it was prescribed. Addiction. Impaired control over drug use, it's compulsive drug use and continued use despite harm, and it's associated with craving. A lot of these uh, definitions have craving associated with it, but addiction and those that are addicted don't want that craving. And they have to take more and more of the drug because of the tolerance and physical dependence. Oh, tolerance. That's a physiologic state caused by regular use of an opioid in which increased doses are needed to maintain the same effect. So what's happened is your brain's adapted, your body's adapted. It's a natural state of neuroadaptation to drug-induced changes. Neurobiologically, your brain's getting used to the drug. Uh, it may result in increased analgesic needs, right? It varies among individuals. It's a genetic or metabolic issue. It might be your body size, habitus, how often you've been taking these drugs, how long you've been taking these drugs. It varies according to the type of pain, and it develops more quickly in younger people. They are much more at risk. Now, a tolerant patient doesn't like the feeling when they don't have the drug. This concept of tolerance is a shift of the hedonic set point. In other words, they don't like feeling kind of crappy. That's not necessarily addiction. It is not addiction by definition. They just don't want this bad feeling. They want to feel good like the first time they took that drug. Well, they're chasing their tail. They're never going to feel as good as they did at one point when they first started taking the drug. They're pushing from the left to the right, and they're needing more drug just to kind of feel okay. That's a concept of tolerance. That's not addiction. All right, let's go over to physical dependence. That's a physiologic state characterized by abstinence syndrome if a treatment with an opioid is stopped or decreased abruptly. They fall off the cliff. So it's just like an alcoholic. He just, he just can't abruptly stop these drugs. You have to understand that these drugs are going to develop um, changes within um, – uh, the human milieu, because um, this is what they do. A normal physiologic state would e expect a physical dependence to be um, evident. It's an expected result of opioid use. It's characterized by withdrawal if you abruptly dis uh, discontinue it. And it's highly variable in people. Uh, sometimes it coincides with addiction, sometimes not. However, it is not by itself addiction. It is not addiction. So what happens in the brain in somebody that's taking these drugs for a long period of time, uh, particularly an addict, um, particularly somebody that is using 
despite harm, um, might be an IV drug abuser and might be somebody that is snorting uh, heroin. Uh, it's somebody that is clearly using this drug for a reason, either to get high or to not feel bad. Is the brain it actually shrinks? You can actually see on functional magnetic resonance imaging changes in the brain. It might be the cocaine where the brain just lights up, and on certain scans um, by a simple trigger. And in less than a second, the brain is lit up, and it just doesn't really go away quick. It might persist and linger. So you look at the individual who's using these drugs uh, for abuse. They're using it for intentional overuse. It's maladaptive pattern of substance use, and it leads to significant impairment or distress, situational depression, anxiety, because they're using it for non-therapeutic purposes. It's it's outside of legitimate need. So that means it's jumped over the fence from the practice of usual uh, uh, medical um, uh, need and exposure. The doctor or provider that's prescribing these drugs to an abuser is uh, causing harm. This is where uh, providers get into trouble. Any non-medical use of a substance is misuse. And it often leads to diversion and often leads to a devastated life. Now, the perfect chronic pain patient is what we usually see. The medication use is not out of control. It improves their quality of life. They want to decrease their medicine at some point. There's an uh, opioid uh, exit strategy, and they're concerned about their physical problem. They just want to get better. There's uh, leftover medication usually, and they follow the uh, opioid agreement. That's where they get the medicine from one pharmacy and one dis, uh, one uh, providing uh, pr- uh, physician or uh, associate. So the, the addicted patient is out of control. They have a diminished quality of life. The medication increases. They're unaware of what's going on, or they're just in complete denial. They don't follow any instructions. They don't follow an agreement. They never have leftover medications, and there's always a story. The dog um, ate my medicine. Well, go ahead, bring me the dead dog. You know, it's these ridiculous stories we hear. Um, It fell in the toilet. Well, your antibiotics don't fall in the toilet. So addictive behaviors are impaired control over drug use, compulsive use of the drug, and continued use of the drug despite harm, and they have craving. So um, craving of the drug is a big part of what drives people to do illogical things. Um, And uh, when they're doing illogical uh, things, they're doing uh, the type of things that gets them in trouble with the law. They lose their job. Their quality of life is diminished. uh, And there is a number of issues that happen interpersonally. They may lose their family. They may lose about everything around them. It used to mean something. When an addictionologist works with a patient, we say, what did you used to like to do? Tell me what you used to like to do. So if we got rid of the substance, alcohol or whatever, opioids, cocaine, and got you back into the things you used to like to do, do you think you'd socialize more? Do you think your quality of life would improve? Eventually, you'll get around to them. They'll pre-contemplate, but eventually, they'll be ready to act, and they'll say, yeah, I see that. And that's a breakthrough. Usually, uh, these people need a little help. 
But there's nothing wrong with giving them a little bit of help because they do have changes in the brain. And it has to be uh, time-dependent. Time um, your brain has to wake up. Um, the brain is sick. It needs to have a little bit of help to understand that there's a life outside of misuse, abuse, and diversion, that addiction is not helping anything in their life, and that there are options. Okay, we talked about addiction and beat that to, beat that to death. Now, more on opioids. All right. Some of the side effects of opioids are nausea, vomiting, paritis, that itching that is not allergy, drowsiness. Um, uh, we see the constriction of the pupils, and the constriction of the pupils does not go away over time. It's it's going to stay with it. It's, uh, even though it may be very tolerant to the drug, it's going to be there. You're going to see endocrine tr- problems. So uh, if an um, individual is on these opioids for a prolonged period of time, the sex uh, desire drops and they just aren't feeling right, you know, may want to check in a male testosterone. You may want to look at uh, uh, a female uh, and uh, have an open discussion about uh, libido or other issues in their life because that's what they do. They can change neuroendocrine um, components. So we also have to look at uh, uh, risky behaviors. Are they drinking? And are they using benzodiazepines? When you look at somebody that's on controlled substances that has had an adverse outcome or event, uh, look at Hollywood, um, and you look at what's really in them, it isn't usually just the opioid. Um, It's usually a benzodiazepine uh, associated uh, or else a barbiturate or they've been drinking. So we have to really be careful about those uh, types of things. All right. Different types of opioids, and we're going to go into this in greater detail in another podcast. There's um, uh, opioids that um, come from uh, esters um, that are semi-synthetic. They're synthetic. Uh, there's a uh, newer type of pseudo-opioids, uh, topentanol and tramadol, that have recently uh, hit, uh, hit the scene, uh, uh, topentanol being the most uh, a recent uh, uh, drug, and uh, the different types of drugs helps us understand uh, application and purposes. Uh, so uh, this is uh, knowing rule four. All right. So the schedule. I get asked this a lot. I I don't need that schedule three drug because the schedule two is more impo- more potent. Right. It doesn't have to do with potency. It has to do with abuse potential hydrocodone just recently went from schedule three to schedule two doesn't have anything to do with potency it has to do with potential for abuse and so that's commonly misunderstood there's different ways to administer these medications the route matters oral uh, from mucosa in the mouth um, there's now um, a a nasal uh, uh, form of fentanyl there's rectal there's im there's iv uh, and then there's a patch system. And uh, to know these medications is to know their metabolism. Uh, there's a, tra- a number of tragic stories, and they're floating around methadone. Methadone is a tough one. Uh, for use in pain, uh, you have to really think, is it worth it? Is the risk-reward benefit worth it? It's 3% of the prescriptions and 35% of the deaths. 
Methadone interacts with a number of uh, drugs, not just controlled substances, and it interferes with the body's ability to, to throw it off. You have a couple of comorbid diseases or you take something you shouldn't uh, with methadone, and it could be a fatal event. Um, that's just one of many examples. Heroin is now mixed with fentanyl, and the potency of those two drugs, um, fentanyl being 100 times more potent than morphine, and some of this potent heroin that's hitting the street, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have deaths. So finally, um, to look at some of the newer thoughts uh, on what to do to reduce uh, deaths and morbidity associated with uh, opioids and controlled substances, we have tools in the form of reversal agents for opioids that can be given by first responders, police officers, firemen and even prescribe to the patient uh, to be used by family members should there be a problem. It's a little counterintuitive, but it can be life-saving. So that's a good start, and um, we're going to uh, talk more about this in detail because it's a huge subject, and a lot of people have different takes on these drugs. But to summarize, opioids are a controlled substance. They have an incredibly useful a purpose in the control of pain and improving quality of life. They are used appropriately in acute pain, um, uh, and they are used appropriately for chronic pain issues. But there should be some discussion as to an exit strategy in both scenarios because acute pain happens chronically and chronic pain happens acutely. So finally, um, we shouldn't be afraid of these drugs. They can be controlled. They don't lead to addiction uh, in competent hands. And if there is a problem with misuse, diversion, uh, abuse, um, these people need to be treated uh, like hum the human beings they are. They need treatment. We don't need bias. We don't need second guessing. They don't need to be told you deserve it. You knew what you were doing. That is not true. Neurobiologically, these people uh, have changed, and we can help them. So I hope that helps. Um, we will talk to you soon, and uh, please visit us on paininformation.com. Leave a comment or two, and uh, support us on iTunes by giving us a review. That really helps, too. This is an informational uh, uh, podcast, okay? Talk over uh, further concerns and discussions with a competent provider of health care, and uh, we read every one of your uh, comments, so please give us uh, some topics in the future. Thanks again.